Go for yeah, it. Yeah. Name that church body, the role of Goody Warkus, listening to the voicemails, and Ten Commandments in the news with churches being sold and repurposed as bed and breakfast. That's what's coming up in this edition of Table Talk Radio. And the Gospel, a radio show that takes Scripture seriously. Without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. He said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. And it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunch. So, uh, if you guys would put mega, mega crunch. crunch on the song, that would be awesome. <laughs> Keep uh, preaching the word, pastors. Keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. No pain, no gain. This is Table Talk Radio. You can have a little pain in your podcast in order to benefit from it, I think. Hey, Pastor Wilson, how are you doing? Hey, we're doing the show. You can kind of step up to the microphone now. Okay, how's that? <laughs> put Facebook away. Step up to the microphone. <laughs> I put Facebook away. You've got to be kidding me. I'm doing something much more important. Oh, what's that? Twitter. <laughs> Whatever happened to you limiting yourself to Facebook once a day? Is that still a thing? I don't even... I think it's like twice a week now. Whoa. I never thought I'd... What about how do you approve all these people trying to get into our Facebook group? That doesn't uh, take we that have long. moderators now. <laughs> oh, Did you really? know that? I've, oh, this is a bad deal. I haven't been to the Table Talk Facebook page in months. Oh. <laughs> That's terrible. I didn't even realize I, this was going on. Yeah, yeah, we have moderators. The moderators of mediocrity, they're called. Ah. It's a big thing. Well, I'm, they're doing great work over there. Table Talk Radio is like one of the very few sane places on the on the Facebook. So what? Now, I was I wasn't actually doing the Twitter though. I was edit this is going to be I'm editing a book called Apologetic Opportunism by you want to guess the author? Uh, I don't know. Brian Flammy. This is his thesis. Really? Yes, yeah, so he publishes a book and so I'm cleaning up we I we had a couple sentences. I didn't know what he was saying. We got that cleaned up this morning. Now I'm cleaning up the typos. It's going to be ready to go. So this, I'm going to get a buzzword from this. This is a nice book, huh. actually. He makes a good argument. So you pick between 1 and 130, and uh, and I'll get a buzzword off of that page. Okay. I just have a quick question first. Yes. Is, since the Twitter's the happening thing, does Table Talk Radio have a Twitter account to, to tweet things? I don't know. I don't think so. Do you remember that whole? This is the whole Twitter problem. Is um, we did have an awesome Twitter presence with uh, Mission Vision sixty nine. Is that how, Mission, how could Mission I forget Vision sixty seven or whatever sixty two? I th- I don't know sixty two. Uh, it was uh, this is that's when his Mission Vision eighty one. When it, that's the year <laughs> that his he was last relevant. And so we, I did have an alter ego, at which I would tweet church growth stuff, and then to, to try to get to try to get it shared by audience. How'd that go? Uh, but I can't log on to it now. I forgot the password. So oh, All right, I want page sixty-two on this. Like mission vision. Yes, like mission. Johann Gerhardt on reason and philosophy. This is great. Um, 
Contradiction. Ah, rule of faith. Okay. That's your buzzword. Rule of faith. Let me read a sentence. What Gerhard means by the rule of faith is the body of doctrine taken from the clearest passages of the Holy Scripture, best summarized in the Creed or Catechism. When interpreters run into disagreements about what difficult passages might mean, either when the passage appears to assert something contrary to the rule founded on the clearest passages, they would defer to the clearer passages based on the principle that Scripture interprets Scripture and that the Holy Spirit does not lie. Nice. Rule of faith. That's fantastic. That's nice, huh? Rule of faith. All right. All right. My buzzword for you is uh, contrition. How do you like that? Contrition is uh, sorrow over sin. Um, it's the repentance of sins. So here's the thing about contrition. We, uh, the, the Roman Catholics in Luther's day, uh, wanted to make um, contrition uh, a work uh, or really making into uh, penance so that um, that confession had these three parts that you'd confess your sins, you would receive absolution, but then you had this penance that had to be done. Um, so that was a, a work associated to the to the the absolution that w- which makes it really a conditional thing. So you know if you light the candles, if you give an indulgence, if you whatever say the our fathers, then you'll get this. But but Luther comes along and says that uh, confession has two parts. First, that you would be sorry for your sins, and second, that you would believe that your sins are forgiven. Pretty nice, huh? Mm-hmm. So, contrition is your theological buzzword. I want that to be on my gravestone, by the way. Here, here A rests Pastor Wolfmuller, who always taught that repentance had two parts, contrition and repentance. Ah, okay. Uh, I'll try to remember that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so it depends on who dies first, I suppose. <laughs> well, the way you're headed, I'm not too worried about it. That's right. Okay, so let's do some. Uh, what's this game we used to play? It's called, uh, oh, Name That Church Body. This is where Aha. we do a little theology, and you have to name where that theology comes from. This could be a church body. It could be a theological figure. It could be a website. That's your job to figure out, not mine. Okay. But I will, right. I will tell you that our consideration for today has come from a video titled, you're going to like this title. In fact, you might steal this title. It's called Three Minute Theology. Hey, I do like that. Now, never mind the fact that it's three and a half minutes. But Oh, yeah. That, that's I was a, on. You know, I was on this morning. I was on the coffee hour with oh, yeah? uh, Andy and Sarah on KFU. How long is that show? And it it was half an hour. And I was like, I had a whole hour booked. And I'm like, <laughs> why? It's this weird thing. It's like it's like the Lutheran hour also. Right. It's all, it's all 30 minutes. It's like, what? I... <laughs> Lutherans, you know, we, we count time differently than the rest of the world does. <laughs> it's it. It is the half hour comedy I, hour that I, I used think, to watch that show when I was growing up. The half I think hour what it is hour. is that there's this there's this time conversion that you have to do because you go to a, a Lutheran church service, and you're kind of sitting in the pew getting ready for about a forty minute sermon, something like this, and the guy start he just starts going, and it's over in fifteen twenty minutes tops. And so you have to you always have to double the time for a Lutheran because they think that well 15 20 minutes that's as long as I can go. Meanwhile everybody else is waiting for a 40 minute sermon. So you just take uh Lutheran time and times it by 2 and you have normal time. I I by the way I got to check out I think I preached a short sermon yesterday. Uh the shortest one I've preached yet. 
And uh, I guess so I got to figure out how long you want to hear. We'll play a game. How long my shortest sermon at St. Paul has been? I'm going to say nine minutes. Are you kidding, man? I have been preaching these long sermons. So last week was 32 or 34. Here, I'm going to I'll pull it up, but don't worry. Okay, so you want to start this thing? You want to give us a setup? And I'll okay, you... it's definitely longer than nine. <laughs> Uh, well, I think I just did. So this three and a half minute theology is a little YouTube video that we're going to learn about. It's going to be talking about the means of grace. So you'll have the task of figuring out, uh, what the backdrop is. I don't know that I care that much. 27 minutes and 43 seconds. Dang. What are you trying to prove down there? <laughs> I, don't, I can't uh, preach a short sermon because then everyone will be like, see, he knows how to do it. <laughs> All right, we're going to get started because we have two and a half minutes left for this Ooh. three and a half minutes uh, video, but yep. we can stop and go. In fact, I think we'll need to stop and go a few times. Okay. All right, so here is three-minute theology. When rays of light pass through a magnifying glass, they refract or bend in towards each other. The spot where these rays of light converge is called the focal point, and the intensity of the light at the focal point is determined by the ratio between the area of the lens and the area of the focal point. This is if, theology? I like the music. I think you should have music like that in your Sunday drive home. <laughs> it's like some sort of shawarmi <laughs> playing some sort of Indian guitar in the background while he explains how to burn ants with magnifying glasses. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. So, this is it. This is I did not what I expected when you said it was, was three minutes you know of theology. Why? Because you what? can't contextualize theology like he can. <laughs> You know, you need a little science background. To, if I, yeah, that's up. right. If I could, man, if I just knew how magnifying glasses work, <laughs> I would use that all the time. <laughs> if I wasn't so dumb. All right, try, would, try, try, try to keep up here. All right, I, all I know right, this is right. hard, but just <laughs> at least pretend. Okay. To had a lens with a diameter of 10 centimeters, and it focused the sunlight to a point one millimeter wide, the ratio of the lens to the focal point would be 78.5 to 0 0.0314, or 2,500 to 1. In other words, the power of the sunlight at the focal point would be 2,500 times more intense than it is when it comes through the lens. If you've wow. ever lit a piece of paper on fire using a magnifying glass before, you've experimented with this ant. property of a convex <laughs> lens, the way it concentrates the energy of the sun to a burning point. So one of the basic truths of the gospel... Okay, so um, we're coming up on a break, but... Uh, where, where do you think he's See, going with this? You know, this is really the top secret why I'm against evolution. Is It's not because I think the Bible teaches creation. It's just because, you know, I don't want to be scientific. <laughs> it, That's better a to whirlwind. Be oh, man, my head hurts already. <laughs> now we have to do theology? <laughs> so many <Dang> numbers. <laughs> I mean, if that's the lead into theology, oh, man. It's got to get good from here. We need to take a break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We do want to hear from you, though. If you have uh, praise songs for us or crunch, if you have articles for us to look at for two minutes, if you have show prep for us, just send it in. Uh, questions at tabletalkradio.org. We should do a show prep at tabletalkradio.com. That'd be an awesome email. <sighs> nice. I like it. Well, I do have this secret um, uh, show prep ninja. Uh, Chris has been sending me stuff directly in my email. And I've just, right. I don't even know if it's good, but it's... It's less work than me doing my own show prep. So, <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, that is pretty good. So we're going to keep doing that. You can always give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA. Check us out on uh, Facebook, apparently, but not the Twitterverse. We'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio.
I learned about magnifying glasses because I'd say, hey, Mom, can I have some matches? Table Talk Radio. No. After a while, you just get used to it. Get the Around the Word devotions delivered to you in a free daily email. You can f- sign up for that at whatdoesthismean.org. Click the Devotions button. Okay, we are back here on Table Talk okay, Radio. Hold we on, are... I just want to make sure I got I got a 10 centimeter magnifying glass with a 1 mil, point, 1 millimeter ray and that means 0.78 ratio which is 200 no, 2500 times intensity. I got I got my notes right? Is that important yep, yep. for me? Now that is from 3 minute theology video, which I'm really glad is not 1 minute theology because that... you're done. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Well, so maybe the theology part's coming next. I think it is. So now that you now you know how magnifying glasses work, and that you can set things on fire without matches, here's more theology. Is that for Christians, our entire life with God depends on God's grace, not on our works. Oh. It is by grace you have been saved, the Bible says in one place, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And of course, if there was anything we could do to merit, earn, or generate God's grace on our own, it wouldn't be grace. The obvious challenge here is just that if it really is all grace, does that mean there's nothing Christians need to do? Is there no expectation that our lives will change as a result of our relationship? Now, why is that an obvious challenge? What is the connection? I mean, I don't know how we went to like a fifth grade science class to 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 grace alone. See, this is why I mean, does you that can't matter? contextualize theology. <laughs> right. it's a, you know, I need to be more relevant because everyone. This is if, like a bait you, and switch. It's like all not, these people yeah. searching YouTube for how to how to work a magnifying glass. Wait a minute! I thought I was learning Hold about magnifying on. glasses. Grace alone. If you can't figure just, this out, I don't know. Just that try I can to figure out you. if you can write, light fireworks with a. No, you I know just... apparently you can take a piece of ice. Like, so say you're stuck out in Alaska, which is close to you, and it's in the winter, and you're freezing to death. You can take a piece of ice and t- shape it into a magnifying glass with your hands and then use that to start a fire. That's a possible thing. Hmm. I don't know how if I'm ever going to get to try that since I've moved down to Texas where there's no I mean, ice is... I mean, do you guys even have ice in the freezer in Texas? Oh, yeah. Believe me. <laughs> this is the way it is in Texas is it's like ultra hot on the outside and ultra cold. We have to You have to bring a sweater around yeah. because people crank down the air conditioner to like 50 degrees. You go into the, <laughs> you go into a restaurant, you're like, I need to step outside to warm up. I know you do. Uh, it, it doesn't take long. Uh, but now. See how I'm contextualizing? I, I'm still wondering, wondering about this theological jump that took place you're you're stuck yeah. on the science lesson but he he just said that we are saved by grace alone and if it was something that we had to do then it wouldn't be grace and then he yes, says right. the obvious challenges does that mean christians don't have to do anything no. and i'm wondering why that is an obvious challenge oh like i, I thought we were okay thinking it well god's grace okay done but apparently... it does seem to be a consistent thing that comes up. Mm. Well, then you, I mean that that so whenever you have grace alone, the 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 challenge does come. And I think you're right that to point out that maybe it's not an obvious challenge, 
But it does always occur. Are you saying mm -hmm. you don't have to do anything? Whenever the Lutheran says, hey, by the way, God saves you, and says, well, you don't have to do, do you mean you don't have to do anything? Are you saying you don't have to do anything? Mm. Should we sin more that grace may abound? It seems like that kind of question is always hanging around in the wings because we are obsessed with our own good works. Mm. That's why it's the opinio legis that makes it that makes it necessity. But but which, which, I, I you think know, you, I make you make a fine point. You quote from was that Romans five or Romans six six? Uh, do we sin that grace may abound? I mean, so Paul himself anticipates that question coming in his writing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, okay. Well, here's more with God? Is there no actual requirement for holy living? Well, the Bible is quite clear in a number of places that there is. There are some very concrete things that Christians can and this must do if they want to grow in their salvation, even though salvation is entirely a free, unmerited gift. One theologian, a guy named called these things the means of grace. The word means here is meant in the old-fashioned sense, like a means to an end, and the means of grace are things that Christians do as a means towards the end of experiencing God's grace. Wesley divided wow. the means of oh, grace bing. into two broad categories. There were what he called works of piety, Pretend things like that Christians do, that. do to grow in their love for God, and there were works of mercy, things that express God's love towards others. Works of piety include things like baptism, receiving communion, wow. Studying scripture, prayer, fasting, and so on. Works of mercy include things like visiting the sick and the prisoner, feeding and clothing those in need, or sheltering the stranger. It's important to realize that though they are necessary for the Christian, these works of mercy and piety are not ways we earn or merit salvation. They are simply the means whereby we experience it more brightly and clearly and intensely. You might say that the means of grace are to God's salvation like the magnifying glass is to the sun. The sunlight is always shining over us, warming us and lighting our way, but it won't light any paper on fire until it's been focused to a point by a magnifying glass. The glass doesn't light the fire, of course, the sun does, but still the glass is necessary if the fire's going to start. In the same way, God's grace is continually shining over us, but if it's to light any fires in our lives, spiritually speaking, it must be concentrated to a point by the means of grace. And so when we pray or we help the vulnerable, when we study the scriptures or we feed the hungry and so on. These things don't save us. They don't light the fire, but they do bring God's grace to a focal point in our lives so that the fire of salvation can burn, deepening our love for God and broadening our love for others. And maybe this is what the Bible means when it says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For some reason, Chinese food sounds really good right now. That's not Chinese. It's Indian food. <laughs> oh, okay. You're so... You're... <laughs> Sorry. I'm not you're... cultured like living in Austin, Texas. That's right. <laughs> Down here, I recognize shawarmi music. I need to get me some free... I just... I'm researching now no copyright Indian background music to send you, <laughs> so when I have a monologue, you can put it in the background for me. I could just, I could just dub over that. Ching! <laughs> okay, so that was fantastically terrible. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so did you finally get what he was saying with the with the connection, the magnifying glass? Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> so it, there, there's a there. You're right. There was a lot of theology all of a sudden, a barrage. So here's the basic question. Let's see if we can uh, distill this thing down. Here's the basic question: Is is there is it does the Christian is it necessary for the Christian to do something? And I let's say good works. Is it necessary for the Christian to do good works? Because that's really what he was talking about. 
I like this distinction. Let's talk, maybe talk about the things that are helpful. Um, I like this distinction between works of piety and works of mercy. That would mm. be works according to the first table of the law and mm. works according to the second table of the law. Of the law. Or even uh, works that discipline versus works that serve. So there is a place, and we, ve- we rarely talk about this, the Lutherans, that, that, that there are works which help us to mortify the flesh, and there are works that are expressions of our love for God. And, and so we, we always want to talk works equal love for the neighbor. Um, uh, that's, which is true, but there's a, there, we, it is possible to expand our understanding of works. So that was fine. And he also was clear that, what, that works are necessary. How does he, he said, it's, the, the works are, th- this is the clean way to say it. Works are necessary not for salvation, but because of salvation. Yeah, I, that, don't, I don't think you said that, though. Did he? You don't think he said that? I don't think so. Hmm. Maybe but I then there's a, a lot of confusing stuff. I mean, a lot. Uh, well, okay, so, so here, I, th- I mean, he, he's playing this interesting thing of saying that, like, the sun shining is God's grace, but that's uh, fundamentally what he's saying is that that's ineffectual for anything. Like that, that cannot accomplish anything for your salvation until that that is focused through the means of grace. And what's interesting, I think what's most interesting about this whole video is uh, who is the actor in the means of grace. So that the means of grace, you know, we, I think the way that, that I usually talk about the means of grace is to understand them as a, a channel. So that, I mean, if, if grace is, if God's grace is something that he has upon us and not something that we are meriting, then the means of grace would be the channels through which that grace comes to us which would still make us passive in that in that thing right mm-hmm. so that we uh, are are receivers of God's word receivers of his gifts baptism or supper but in this setup it makes God having this grace that doesn't do anything until you are a participant in the means of grace and now all of a sudden that can light a fire in your life spiritually mm-hmm. speaking he says mm-hmm. now this I, I don't know how true this is to this said theologian, which you don't know. Um, I think it secret. sounds a lot like Roman Catholicism. What do you think? Uh, oh, let me think about that. Yes. Answer, yes. <laughs> it does sound like Roman Catholicism. So there's no way you're going to get this. Uh, <laughs> name that church body. No way. You're saying it's not a Roman Catholic? Now I'm on to it. I'm on to you. I figured it out. <laughs> So not only did I forget to uh, take out both of the references to the theologian, but I accidentally left the feed going when I was doing this editing before the show. So he already heard the answer anyway. So whatever. <laughs> whatever. Like, you're mad at me. <laughs> well, so you didn't hear me editing it like, oh, I better turn the speakers off before I hear the answer. I forgot. <laughs> So okay, but uh, you, I mean, so you're right. I mean, this this language of you of means of grace to describe the things that the Christian does is really hmm, I don't know what the word for it is. It's really terrible. It's a complete reversal of what's actually happening. So yeah, it is. All right, you want me to guess who this is? Yeah, try to guess. I'm gonna guess Charles Wesley. 
No, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, sorry. No, sorry. It's incorrect. That John is West. wrong. John. All right. So you lose uh, 500 Char- points. Wrong Wesley. And we will be right back. Wesley. All right. Uh, what are we doing? Oh, uh, uh, 10 commandments in the news after this. And then we're going to go to your voicemails at 1-800-385-SOLA. This is Table Talk Radio. You have been warned. I'm taking some old Luther stuff, pulling it out of the collections and publishing it. You can download it for free or buy them for five bucks. Find it, the Everyone's Luther, at wolfmuller.co. Click on the books at the top of the page. All right, we are back here on Table Talk Radio. What are we doing? Hey, I like what this guy's doing, by the way. He's teaching theology on YouTube. I'm all for it. You know, we were busted as chops. I don't know if I'd say he's teaching theology. Anyway. He's trying. Keep going, guy. Read more Luther. Yeah, more science. Less less theology. Uh, You're so negative, man. (laughs) I want to be uplifting. You know, us YouTube creators got to support each other. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a community. Ten Commandments in the News is next. This is where we read a story and talk about commandments involved. And I have a story here from NPR for you. Uh, The headline says, Houses of Worship Find New Life After Congregations Downsize. It says, When Lisa and Dan uh, McKenna uh, bought a century-old Methodist church in St. Louis back in 2004. They didn't think much about the cost of heating the place. Then the first heating bill bill arrived, $5,000 for a single month. I felt like crying, Lisa said. Like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Over the course of a decade, the McKeas, or McKinnas, whatever I said before, uh, who both have hospitality <laughs> you backgrounds? McKeon? <said> McKeon? <laughs> McKeon? Uh, renovated the 115 year old church into a bed and breakfast, repurposing oh, these buildings known nice. as adaptive reuse, is becoming increasingly common as the religious preferences of Americans shift. Oh, yeah. The percentage of Americans they who prefer, belong. Instead of, instead of going to church, they prefer to sleep and eat breakfast. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> Very convenient. <laughs> The percentage of Americans who belong to a church, mosque, or synagogue has declined in the past 20 years, forcing some religious leaders to make difficult decisions, sell their house of worship, and downsize. In the U.S., many religious buildings were built during periods of religious growth, said Cleveland State University professor of urban planning Robert Simmons. Quote, the buildings we have were built in the 40s, 50s, and 60s and are not really functional for today's pers- from today's perspective. Um, these large religious buildings can fall into disrepair, replacing a financial burden on a shrinking congregation. The process of this vicious cycle, said Simmons, because congregations is deteriorating buildings, have trouble attracting new members, which in turn reduces donations. So uh, let's skip down a little bit to uh, some various parts. Um Revamping old religious buildings can come with hidden costs, especially if developers have to run plumbing and heating vents throughout the thick stone walls. New construction project might have fewer surprises, says Simmons, but old houses of worship often have unique features that consumers find desirable. The exterior of the building 
<laughs> and belovedness it has among the community. It is all positive, he said. What you really uh, want is the stained glass and the beautiful interior finish. That's exactly what drew Chicago residents Kelly and her best friend Sue to the Clifton Heights Inn in St. Louis, and so on and so forth. So so basically, it's a story about how um, people are buying old church buildings because churches have to get rid of them. They can't afford them anymore. And it's a, it's a good draw for consumers. What do you think? <laughs> I'm interested in this. What I, I I want you to talk about the theology of the church building because there's a mistake that we often point out, and that is that the church is not the building. Remember, here's the building. Here's this. The open the door. Here are the people. The church is the people. That's that's what that little thing is about. Mm-hmm. True enough. So, what is our theology of church buildings? Uh, well, I mean, I think what you said is r- true. Um, however, the 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 space that we conduct activities says something about what's going on in that place. So if you go to a movie theater, you kind of expect some uh, seats and a big screen. You go to a bowling alley, you expect um, places to roll a ball down to knock over some pens. And when you go to church, you expect a multi-purpose room. <laughs> right? I mean, so so there is something to say, look, this this space is devoted to something that is sacred, something that uh, goes on here, happens nowhere else, but that this place is devoted to uh, prayer and uh, the place where God comes to us to give us his gifts. So that the architecture, uh, when it's given to do so in a particular place, particular circumstances, uh, should um, exalt that wonderful thing that goes on. It should glorify that thing that goes on, that is God bringing his gifts to us. And that can be remarked by beauty, it can be remarked by uh, various forms of architecture that teach things about the truth of Scripture. Yeah. It is interesting that as, you know, the early church, people loved to point out, met in houses, but that was because they had to, because it was illegal <laughs> to be a Christian. Die. And as soon as you, as soon as Christianity was legal, blam, they started building churches. I mean, immediately. And it's not like the people back in those days were like, no, meeting in houses is better. <laughs> they were all... That's that's the farthest thing from there. They always the thought that to have a space set apart for these things because architecture preaches it, or it teaches at least, and so to have a, a place that can preach, where the stones can cry out, and 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 preach the name of Jesus is, is the ideal. Although it's certainly not necessary. So that's maybe the distinction. So to have a building or to have a, a space set apart for the the means of grace. You know, by that I mean doing good works so that Jesus can light us on fire. <laughs> With a Remember magnifying that? glass. Uh, but set apart for the means of grace, baptism and the Lord's Supper, where Jesus comes and forgives our sins. This is nice that we want to do it if we have to do it. But there is a, there is a thing that we need to be wise when it comes to space, because, because buildings are like the ocean, and they will just... You, you know, the oceans flow into the—wait, wait. The rivers flow into the ocean, and the ocean is never filled. And so it is with property. Mm. <laughs> the, 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 you know, your whole budget can flow into the building, and the building never gets tired of absorbing everything you've got. Mm-hmm. So there's a weird sort of thing that, that a church can get. So we want to have the space, but we don't want to be 
we want the space to serve us and the uh, and serve the gospel rather than what often happens is congregations become slaves to their mm-hmm. to their building and their mm-hmm. facilities and that's that's going the wrong way can, can i can uh, i jump in on comment on there because i ha- yeah. i have kind of a kind of a thing cuz cuz here i mean we in the Missouri Synod as well as every other church body uh we're dealing with uh, shrinking numbers and um you know sometimes the the church growth uh, gurus say, "Oh, see, uh, it's because you're becoming uh, irrelevant and obsolete." Uh, or it could be perhaps that the world does not want to hear the gospel, <laughs> uh, and so uh, do we want to be faithful, or do we uh, want to appease the world? But that's another point. Uh, but as we deal with these this this issue that we that we as a church body are shrinking in in many places, um, uh, uh, smaller congregations that are facing financial crunches are looking at. You know what to do about that, and the biggest expense of a small congregation is always the pastor. Those darn pastors are so expensive. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, you have to pay the pastor to live, and maybe his uh, health insurance, especially if he has a family, things like this. And so, uh, churches will sometimes go to a a dual parish uh, situation, and that can be a, a great resolution in certain circumstances. But I would just encourage congregations in this situation to consider this: that if the sister congregation that you would share a pastor with is somewhat close to you geographically, might it be a better idea to merge with that congregation and have one pastor over a bigger congregation rather than a pastor split between two smaller congregations? And I think your point to the the building being a big budget suck is a great example of that because the congregations— could get over whatever split happened 90 years ago. <laughs> and they could pool their resources at this moment in time and do uh, much more for the sake of the gospel with the resources they have than just maintaining two buildings and splitting a pastor's time. Now, I know that in certain circumstances, the churches are too far away from each other. I'm just saying, consider it. It might be mm-hmm. something that would work out better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I someone asked this question the other day, and I thought this was really good to think about. It was, it was I was at a pastors' meeting, and they said, "Why do we think of the shrinking of the church as a bad thing?" Mm. Now I thought that was a good question. Now I think there are some possible answers, but one of the answers is not, "Well, we don't have enough money to pay for our buildings." That should not be, that should not be on the on the list of reasons why we need a lot of people because we need their money to pay for the building. Mm. We could say, well, the church is shrinking is bad because that means there's fewer Christians who are going to know the love of Christ and will, will, and will come to the resurrection of the body with us um, and, and the joys of eternal life. That, that, now, that would be a, a reason why the shrinking of the church is bad. But if the Lord wills that the church would, would shrink, then so be it. It's, it's his determination, not ours. It's the Lord who gives the growth, not us. And so we want to be able to avoid panic when we we see these things happening and we want to be able to kind of hone ourselves there's it in in economics there's this you know you have the boom and the bust and the boom and the bust and it's good to have these things because you got to have the lean years so you can kind of you can cut the fat and you can re-examine your priorities and you can look at what's necessary and what's not and so so maybe the Lord is handing us over to some lean years for a reason, and we ought to we ought to learn from it. One of the things we need to to learn is how do we handle how do we handle our property? How do we handle these sorts of things in a reasonable way that extols the gifts of God and doesn't become um, overtaxing to the preaching of the gospel? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
That's so. That's so. We want to look at this in some ways, the shrinking of the churches as an opportunity to recognize that the Lord is is teaching us something, and maybe He's just, maybe He's He's cutting away our idols, our big our big fancy buildings, mm-hmm. um, or whatever it is. He's because cutting, the church is not the building. Away. That's right. It's the people, like the, you know, like the finger puppet said. <laughs> All right. Well, when we get back, I want to hear about if you can identify any Ten Commandments in this story. Ah, uh, which is why we're doing this whole thing in the first place. And then okay, the last gotcha. segment, we're going to be going to the voicemail system at 1-800-385-SOLA. You better hurry and get it in because the last segment's coming up right after this break. You can also send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. We do not have the email system answers at tabletalkradio.org. You tuned in at the worst of all possible times. This is Table Talk Radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. Okay, so that's Joel. We, did we decide that's Joel and the Soggy Bottom Boys? I think so. Yeah. Okay, so we heard from this NPR article on houses of worship find new life after congregations <laughs> downsize. This is a bed and breakfast. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, so we talked about the realities of uh, financial decisions that congregations have to make particularly use of their buildings, and also what architecture can teach about theology, all good things. But uh, do, the, do the Ten Commandments come into this story? What about this main thing? Is we've got to say that it's we, we, we need a place to worship because the Lord gives us his gifts externally in the preaching and in the word and in the... Now, it could be any place. I mean, it could, it could be under a tree. But we, we have to... There, Christian... Christian worship occurs in a place. It's not by accident that Jesus had to prepare the upper room for the Last Supper. So there's always a place set apart for that. So it doesn't have to be a fancy place, but there's a there's a placidness. How do we say that? How did the old fancy guy say that? There's a locatedness to the gifts of God. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound mm-hmm. like a seminarian? It's, it's interesting. A <laughs> like a seminary. <laughs> um, I, I think it's interesting that that these churches who, you know, people aren't coming when God's gifts abound. Uh, I mean, people don't want to darken the doors of this place because, you know, that place has nothing to offer me. But when it can be a, a, a prospect for a business location for like a bed and breakfast or a, a coffee shop, well, now this has appeal. Here's a, I read, no, I didn't read. I listened to my buddy Al Moeller talking about some chapel in England that has a, a slide in it. Like they're putting these these kind of carnival and amusement park rides yeah. in these old cathedrals, hmm. and and that but so okay, but it's not like the church sold the building to a carnival and then the carnival says, well, we're a carnival, so we should do carnival <laughs> things in here. No, the church decided that we're going to do carnival things to get the people in, mm-hmm. and then they say, you know, when people climb the slide, they climb up to the top of the helter skelter. They, it, it lets them appreciate the architecture of the cathedral. Oh, brother. <laughs> you know, these, like, yeah. 12-year-old kids. Look at, oh, look I at mean, that flying buttress. At some point, we're going to have to come to grips with the fact that the thing that's keeping people away is the Word of God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, God is, I mean, the, is what 
is keeping people away in the sense that they don't want to come and and come into his house of worship. So yeah. I mean, yeah. so yeah. now we're stuck with the problem: do we want people or do we want the word of God? You know that that's the fundamental decision. If you yeah. want people and that's all that matters to you, then just get rid of the word of God, and you'll have all, all kind. I mean, just have a bed and breakfast, have uh, carnival slides, have a jump house. Might as yeah. well. Better to, if you have to sell the church, there's a right of decommissioning where you say, now we're we're removing the holy things and we're and this we we are we praise God for the work that He's done here in the past, and now we're handing this over to whatever comes next. Yep. So. Be it the bed uh, breakfast or whatever. Okay, commandments. This has got to be uh, the decline of this. Is church stuff is second and third commandments. Second, God's name. That's prayer and worship. Third commandment is God's word, sacraments. Uh, the holy day, etc. Um, you know, bed and breakfast—they keep people alive. That'd be fifth commandment. <laughs> <laughs> the decline of the church and the and the declining offerings to—that's seventh commandment stuff. That's what do we do with our money? And st- that stewardship question. There is probably but, something to be said about that too. Um, I mean, I I don't think that we have to engage in this whole thing like. Uh, God needs your money, uh, or or if you really want God to bless you, you need to, you know, give up your offerings first. All this kind of nonsense. Uh, the reality is, is that um, it's a blessing to have a place to receive God's gifts of word and sacrament. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to uh, receive the Lord's Supper, His Word, to be able to go talk to a pastor when uh, times maybe require you to do so. Receive absolution. Those are all nice things, uh, and unfortunately, those things have a financial cost to them. And so, your offerings um, are a, a means to keep that going on. <laughs> you know, if you if you want other people also to hear this good news, that we have to pay the bills. I and, was thinking about this because you know people like to say, like, hey, um, when you give money, you're you're giving to God. When you give to the church. And I think we want to say, wait, now, hold on. I didn't know God, like, was poor, you know? Like, he need. He only like has he a needed... thousand hills worth of cows, I mean. Right, right. That's a, this great <laughs> Psalm 50. The Lord says, hey, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you about it. I don't need anything. But the pastor probably needs money. I mean, this is, you're not giving to God. You're giving to the pastor and his family, and you're giving to the church, and you're giving to, the like, the electric company and the plumber and— you're, that's what, what you're giving to, but that's th- that should be good because I we we our money follows what we love, and if we love the preaching of the gospel, then our money should follow the, also the preaching of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, and and I crazy. think that's just important to to, to point out because um, uh, it for it to be a priority would also include you know how we how we use our money. You know, so anyway, that's probably enough said on that. What else you got? Ten commandments on this one. Uh, seventh commandment, fifth commandment, second and third. It's always the first commandment. There's a covetousness that's in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The increasing secularization is a—that's going to be a third commandment thing uh, that's happening there. That's what I think we—that's that's the commandments that are at play, I think. All right, good enough for me. Let's look at the uh, some of the voicemails we have here. Here's the first one. Bumper sticker, I survived Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> like that you know like these nuns have a bad reputation someone was telling me about growing up in catholic school and the nuns would walk around with the rulers and slap your hand all the time hmm. you know 
I don't. I mean, I thought that was kind of like what happened in the movies, but this person was saying, "No, that's how it was." Nuns hmm. are always slapping you around. Huh. Well. Yeah. Better get in line. I know. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't hear a lot of people talking about how much they enjoyed their Catholic school. Do you? Interesting. Uh. I'll hear I'll hear Lutherans. It's a mixed bag. Lutherans sometimes will brag about. Although I mean, people will sometimes brag about Catholic school, like this bumper sticker, like it was boot camp. You know, <laughs> that's true. Like I climbed Everest and I survived Catholic school or something. Huh. But yeah, I, I don't know. There wasn't. I don't think there was much cultivating a delight in the things of God, which is I. I'm uh, coming more and more to recognize that this is the goal of. Of education, especially theological education, is a cultivating of delight. I was reading the Aristotle yesterday. Remember the Aristotle? Yes, I remember Aristotle. And he wrote that virtue is loving the things you ought to love and hating the things you ought to hate. And so cultivating those affections, the proper affections. I think that's probably right. And so we have to cultivate a love for the Lord's Word, which is what we got to do in our confirmation and everything else like that. It doesn't seem like that a lot of that was happening at the old Catholic schools. Hmm. I wonder, um, I mean, that's, I don't think how Catholic schools are today, um, I hope, <laughs> so I don't think they're, I mean, it's just a different time, you know? I mean, not not to justify it, but just just a different time. Um, so, I don't know, we'll have to maybe compare that to uh, Christian school systems today. But let's go, let's move on. Here's a church drop sign from some little church in the middle of Australia. Hmm. Sugar preaching leads to truth decay. Sugar preaching? Sugar preaching. Sugar preaching leads to truth decay. Did it say truth decay or tooth decay? Truth. Truth decay, okay. You truth decay. Proper pun applied. Sugar preaching leads to truth <laughs> decay. I think that's true. That is a true bumper. No, that is true church sign, and it's truly also punny. What, what so, do you think, though, is sugar preaching? You know, like uh, telling the people what you want to eat. scratching the itchy ear. Uh-huh. I mean, it could be like the the Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, which is often confused for law and gospel. <laughs> <laughs> there's, some, there's something truly uh, true about that in, in rhetoric. you got to say something hard, but you want to say it as sweetly as possible mm. or strategically as possible but if you just if you just preach what people want to hear then you're not preaching the truth yeah yeah fair enough all right here's another one wow. church sign on a disciples of christ it's father's day weekend and the church sign says father knows best oh. father's knows best is that because of the old movie which is called father's knows best it's a pun because it's talking about God the Father knows best. On Father's Day weekend. It's very contextual. A father knows how to operate the magnifying glass to... <laughs> very contextual. I don't know. I, I mean, I suppose, what are you supposed to do with that church? Well, sign? it lacks the pun uh, thing. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's drawing on pun. a... I mean, it's. I just, I just Googled it here. A TV show from the 1950s, I suppose. That's relevant. I, yeah, <laughs> that's like Mission Vision, Mission Vision, nineteen fifty one. That's extremely relevant. All right, hey, why don't we do a sermon series based around naked night shows? <laughs> All right, one more quick one. This is it, Mister Ed. <laughs> ah, my thing's not playing. 
Well, I guess we're not going to have time for this last what one. What is uh, Dennis the Menace? We're going to do a seven-part sermon series on Dennis the Menace? <laughs> well, I'm sorry. The advantage is you could use video clips, and they're not copyrighted anymore, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> well, since my uh, file didn't play, you have to endure Pastor Wolfmuller's terrible jokes for the last 10 seconds. So I apologize for that, but thank you for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. You sound contrite. <laughs> that was a very good I'm going to give you four points for such a terrible use of We should make the rule of faith like a rule to one of our games. The game Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. That would be Please hilarious. consult your pastor Quiet, before listening listen. to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, guy. hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumor, sick pain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the cavalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. More information, visit tabletalkradio.org. It caused a big controversy on the Facebook.